Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We're our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. Confessing your sins that makes you forgiven. It's not stopping doing evil things that makes you forgiven. But it's because Jesus died. So that at where you are right now, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how bad the story is, no matter how evil your hands have been soiled into, you will be accepted on only one condition that you believe that Jesus has died and that your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. We've been talking about how God has forgiven us. We've been talking about how Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our unforgiveness. And the entirety of this teaching is to bring us to a place where we will respond. See, it's not all about understanding the theology of the forgiveness of sins. But this should be demonstrated in our individual lives. First of all, we were by nature, by our nature, dead in sin. We were in debt, a debt that we cannot pay. We are enslaved to sin. We were by nature children of wrath. But God made us alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. And you, he made alive. Look at that forgiveness as, you know, God counseling the hostility that has brought us, that, that sin has brought us into. And you, he made alive when you were dead, slain, by your trespass and sins. This is a debt. In which at one time you walk habitually. That was our identity. We were children of, 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 of wrath. By nature, we don't deserve to exist. By our nature, we don't deserve to exist. You were following the cause and the fashion of this world. We're under the sway of the tendency of this present age. Following the prince of the power of the air, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who, who go against the purpose of God. That was our former position. That is where we are coming from. Among these, we all, we well as you, once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imag imaginings. We were then by nature of God's wrath, by nature, what? Children of God's wrath. And heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God, say but God. Let's read this together. But God so rich in what? But God so rich is he in his mercy. 
because of and in order to satisfy the great and the wonderful and the intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings, look at what he did, and trespasses, he made us alive together in the fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life which, with which he quickened him for. It is by what? By grace. You know what that grace means? His favor, his mercy, which you did not deserve. So the forgiveness and the cleansing of our sins is not what we deserve by right. By right. Are we together? It is by grace, his favor, by and mercy, which, which he did not, we did not deserve. That we have been saved and delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And this salvation is actually the forgiveness of our sins. Hallelujah. So this is our, this is a diagnosis of where we are coming from. This is our position. This is where God has brought us from. All of us. All of us. Including the one that offended you. You were, you were by nature a child of wrath as that offender. But he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Our new identity in Christ brings us into a relationship with him. That is what we've been talking about throughout this year. The life in the Holy Spirit. Our new nature brought us into a union with him. An intimate relationship with him. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Same amplified. I will stick to that. Romans 8 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are what? Are the sons of God. Earlier on, we were sons of the devil. But now, because we are led by the Spirit, we are the sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit, we are the sons of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, because this is our nature, I say then, walk in the spirit. Responsive to the spirit, that's what it means. And you shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. Now it is on this note that I want to draw the curtain to the teaching on the forgiveness of sins. We've been talking about this for quite a while. And then what I want to just bring us to is, is where we started before. You know, to walk in the spirit, we must constantly set our minds on the things of the spirit. We said this earlier on in the beginning of this year. That this is where we are. This is where God has brought us. This is our, 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 our habitat. We are men that God has forgiven. We are men that God has forgiven all our trespasses. Give me that Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. We are free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now the death, the $10 million is a debt of sin. Are we together? Verse 4, that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal man, mind is in enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hallelujah. But you and I are not in the flesh. We are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. Because our debt has been cleaned, we've been brought into union with him. Therefore, we are living in the spirit. We are of the same spirit with him. We've come into this fellowship and this union. Colossians chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Hallelujah. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. So this is where we build the foundation this year, trying to understand who we are, what Christ has done for us. Now, one of the most important factors that will enable us to live the life in the spirit is understanding the forgiveness of sins. See, the life that is above, right, cannot be lived below. Are we together? When I mean below, what I'm talking about things that are earthly. Remember, I told us here that what we mean by things that are earthly has to do with the things of the flesh. Unforgiveness is of the flesh. Are we together? So, we must understand the forgiveness of sins. Without having the proper knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, it is impossible for us to express a life in the spirit. It is impossible for us to express a life in the spirit. Though you've been forgiven... But if you don't know to what extent you've been forgiven, if you don't know to what extent Christ has done all the things he did for you, you will not be able to express the quality life that he has given you. So we must know that, the, that, that the, what alienated us from the life in the spirit is sin. First of all, what separated us from fellowship with God is sin. And we must also note that what brought us into union with God, that is a life in the spirit, is what Christ has done. And what has he done? He has taken away the sin issue. He has forgiven the sins. And we said that understanding the forgiveness of sins influences our lives in three fundamental ways. It influences our lives in three fundamental ways. For you to have a grasp of an understanding of what Christ has done for you, your life will be influenced in three ways fundamentally. Now, the first place where our lives will be influenced is our relationship with God. Because many of us don't know what Christ has done for us. We don't know what Christ has done concerning our sins. We don't know what Christ has done concerning, you know, our eternal security. Therefore, there is an influence on the way we live. We don't live the quality life that we're expected to live. 
And secondly, I say that our relationship with one another will be influenced by our understanding of what Christ has done for us. And thirdly, our ministry will be a reflection of our understanding of how Christ has forgiven us our sins. So let's, let's just go through these three factors and conclude on this issue of forgiveness of sins. So how does this understanding influence our relationship with God? How does this understanding of the fact that God has forgiven us all our sins influences our relationship with him? Now, the first thing for you to know or to be reminded once again is that God in Christ has done what? He has dealt with your sin permanently. Hallelujah. God in Christ have done what? Has dealt with has dealt with the issue of sins once and for all, and it's permanent. Between you and God, there is no longer the conversation of wrath, of the consequences of sins. Let's, let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2 rather, amplified classic. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. And you who were dead in trespasses and in uncircumcision of your flesh, your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ. Having what? How did he forgive? Huh? Having freely. Which means that your forgiveness is without the church. Having freely forgiven us, how many of our trespasses? How many? All our trespasses, having what canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note. You see, there's a way that if you if you clean something, it can be traced. Are we together? If you write and then you use an eraser to clean it, I mean, if someone can look at it and, and know that something has happened here, right? But what has Jesus Christ done for us? He has canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bone, with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, the hostile, that is hostile to us. This note with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared how? Completely out of your way. By doing what? By nailing it to the cross. So completely Christ has nailed our sin to the cross. God disarmed principalities. This is what comes alongside with what? With the forgiveness of sins. He disarmed the principalities and the powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and popular example of them in triumphing over them in him and in the cross. So, the idea of sin is no longer an issue between God and the believer. He has forgiven. He has forgiven eternally. He has wiped away the record of sin. To all that believe, he has wiped away the record of sin. And the proof of this is the permanent indwelling of the spirit in the believer. To prove to us, see, that he has forgiven. To prove to us that there is no issue between us and him. He decided to reside in us. By the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwelling in the believer is a, is a proof of the permanent forgiveness that we have received. The life in the spirit that we're talking about is, is a union that is as a result of the forgiveness that we receive in Christ. 
So the Holy Spirit living in us, or we living in the Spirit permanently, the Spirit living in us permanently is a proof of this forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 to 14. In him, you also had the word of truth, the glad tidings. And what is the glad tidings? The gospel, the gospel is concerning the forgiveness of sins that you are forgiven. Of your salvation and have believed in and adhered to and relied on him. Where what? You were sealed with a seal. You were stamped with a seal of the long promised Holy Spirit. The, that spirit is what? Is a guarantee of our inheritance. The first fruit, the plate, and the fortress, the down payment on our inheritance, of our heritage, in anticipation of its full redemption and acquiring a complete possession of it to the glory, to the, to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. And also, this forgiveness, as a matter of fact, is free of charge. It's a gift to you. The forgiveness of sin is a gift. It's not what you do by yourself. It's not what you created. It's not because you've been, you've been nice and been a, 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 I mean, I've been a good person. That's why I've been forgiven. No. It's because of his grace. It's because of his grace that you've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You see, it's a gift. The forgiveness, we've seen it. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by free grace. The way they qualify this grace. I don't know whether there's a grace that is not free. Hallelujah. But let's, let's agree with them. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved and delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. The previous slave we read about, what did he do to end the forgiveness? Nothing. He didn't even say, I will pay deposit and complete the, the rest later. No. He was forgiven free of charge. He was let go free of charge. For it is by free grace that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith and this salvation is not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. If I was the one paraphrasing this, I would say it's, of, it's not of your own doing, no undoing. Because some of us are thinking that it's because there are some sins I've not committed. I have not killed anybody. I've not uh, committed abortion. I've not in my life, I've never stolen anything. So I think my sin, God can easily overlook and forgive because you've not done anything. No. By nature, remember what we said, by nature, for not believing, by nature you are a child of wrath. Amen? By not believing that Jesus saves, you are by nature a child of wrath. So if there's anybody here and then you've not believed that Jesus has forgiven your sin, then the bad news is that you are a child of wrath. Are we together? The bad news is that you are a child of wrath, no matter how beautiful you are looking. No matter how handsome you're looking, no matter how well-dressed you are this morning, you are a temple of demons. That's what the scripture says, because the Holy Spirit does not live in you. And no man is, is empty. Every man is possessed. I am possessed. You are possessed. But the issue is, who is what, what is possessing you? Are we together? 
Man is never created to be alone. So, if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, the bad news is that you are possessed by demons. And that you are marked for destruction. The seal upon you is a seal of destruction. But the good news is that you can change it right now. Hallelujah. Right now, you can turn things around. It costs nothing. Only your pride. Amen? Only your pride. Because, you know, to say that you don't need God is pride. Amen? And pride does what? It kills. Eh? So don't swallow your pride. Vomit it. Some people say swallow your pride. Don't swallow it. It will kill you. Believe in Jesus Christ. That is how you have the seal of the Spirit of God. That is how you come to, 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 to accepting the reality of what he has offered us. Believe in Jesus Christ. Not that he is just a prophet, but that he died for the forgiveness of sins. That he died that you will be set free from sins. So for, it is by free grace, unmerited for that you are saved from judgment, made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doings. No undoing. It came not through your own striving. Hallelujah. That is why we keep telling you that you don't do anything to be forgiven. That's why we will tell you that, you know, it's not identifying with what Christ has done. It's by acknowledging and embracing and agreeing that my sins are forgiven in Christ. It is a gift of God. Hallelujah. So, it is a gift of God. Forgiveness is a gift of God. Forgiveness is a gift of God. So what is the implication of this to us? It means that sin no longer is an issue, right? It's no longer an issue. We've established this first John chapter 2, verse 12. And yeah, little children. It says, first John chapter 2, verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, little children, because of his name's sake, your sins are what? Are forgiven. So, your sins are not going to be forgiven, but your sins have what? Have been forgiven. Pardoned through his name and on account of confessing his name. Now, this confessing, we know what this confessing is. Are, are we together? And what do you confess? Not your sin, but what do you confess? His name. That is what makes you forgiven by, on the account of confessing his name. And confessing his name is accepting and believing and agreeing with what he has done. The name there is the authority that he comes along with and what he has done. Hallelujah. The implication of this is that we have freedom from sin. Amen? We have freedom from sin. Now, I'm trying to tell us how this will relate, how this affects our relationship with God. Number one, we've already been forgiven. We have uh, freedom from sin. We have freedom from sin. Now, what does this freedom from sin mean? Romans chapter 6, verse 5 to 14. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 to 14. For if we have become one with him, we've become one with him by believing, by sharing a death like his, by identifying with him, we shall also be one with him, sharing his resurrection by a new life for God. We know that our all unrenewed nature 
was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be slaves of sin. So your, your position right now, and give me that verse again, verse 5, verse 6, is that you have been made ineffective and inactive for evil. Hallelujah. This is the implication of believing in Jesus Christ that has forgiven your sins. It means that you have been made inactive and what? And ineffective for evil. So if you find yourself doing evil, then I don't know where you get that power from because the spirit that lives in you does not empower you to do evil. That we might no longer be what? Be slaves of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7. For when a man dies, he is freed, loosed, delivered from the power of sin among men. Have you ever seen a man that died thinking about his school fees? Thinking about the debt that he owes near his university? That's how to rest in peace. From the things of the world. Amen? Somebody, ah, you know, I want, I'm looking, I want to rest. If you want to rest, in this life, you will never rest. If you want to rest, you can go six feet down. Then you rest from the challenges and the problems of this life. That's just by the way. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9. Because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being once raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. So also death no longer has power over the believer. Amen? Death has no power over the believer. Death has no power over the believer. Now, we are not saying that you will not naturally die. Amen? But when you die, it's a transition to an eternal life. What we're meaning is that you will not be forever separated from God. That is a death here. You will forever be in union with God. That is life. For by the death he died, he died for, to sin. Ending what? His relation to it. Once and for all. And the life that he lived, he is living to God in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider now, because Christ has done this, even so, we what? We consider ourselves also dead to sin and our relationship to it broken completely. So a man that has believed in Christ has been disassociated from the life of sin. Life influenced by the nature of sin. That relationship has been broken. But alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Let not what? Let not sin. Therefore, ruled as what? As king in your physical body. Short lived perishable bodies. So when we say you are forgiven, we're not saying that now nah, you can keep on doing whatever you want to do because there's no problem. What we are saying is that you are mad. That's what we are saying. How can you, who is dead to sin, control to sin? What we are saying is that something is wrong with your head. What we are saying is that you are you are acting out of order. What we are saying is that you have mental problem. For you to be in Christ and continue to live contrary to your nature. For you to be in Christ and continue to live contrary to your nature. 
Something is wrong with you. So let not sin therefore rule as king in your mortal short-lived perishable bodies to make you yield to his cravings and be subject to his lust and evil passions. Do not continue offering or yielding your bodily members as faculties to sin as instruments, the tools of wickedness. But offer and yield yourself to God as though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of righteousness. So the default life of the believer is righteousness. For sin shall not any longer. Hallelujah. This is your reality. This is our reality. This is our identity. This is who we are. Sin shall not any longer exalt dominion over you. Since now you are not under the law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. Amen? Sin is no longer an issue. In fact, God has forgiven sin, and sin does not have relationship with you. Hallelujah. So the issue of sin has been dealt with once and for all. We have freedom from sin, from its penalty, from being slave under sin, from its penalty, which is eternal death. And we've been brought into what an unbroken relationship with Christ. Therefore, we can come boldly to God at all times. Amen? You can come boldly to God at all times. In all seasons, you have access to God. You have access to God. Because there's no, there's no separation between you and God. Christ has made an open door for us. The curtain of separation has been torn from top to bottom. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to 16. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liabilities to assault of temptation. But one who has been tempted in every respect, and we as we are, yet without sinning. Verse 16. Let us then fearlessly. Eh? How do you come to God? Fearlessly. Right? How do you come? Why how do you come to God? You come to God fearlessly and how? Confidently and boldly. Do you see someone that is fearless? Do you see someone that is full of confidence? Do you see someone that is bold? Can be mistaken for being arrogant. But let me tell you, before the presence of God, this is how God wants you to always relate with him. Fearlessly. Confidently. Hallelujah. And boldly. The spirit he put in you is not a spirit of timidity. Are we together? So God wants you to always come to him fearlessly. Confidently. And boldly, draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us when we were sinners. But now we are not sinners. Hallelujah. That we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Whatever kind of help. 
whatever kind of help can be found at the throne of grace. So you are a partaker of that help. You are a partaker of that help. God has, has made a door for you to access that help. You have that help by right. You have that help as a matter of, of, of your identity as a child of God. You have access to that help. So we can come boldly. The, 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 the understanding that we are forgiven should motivate us to always come to God regardless of the situation. Even in our failures, even in our weaknesses, we can come boldly and fearlessly. Why? Because we have been forgiven eternally. We have been forgiven eternally. The records of sin has been cleared in Christ Jesus. There no longer remain an indignation or wrath. You are a child of God. You are a beloved child of God. He loves you so dearly that he didn't make it up to you to remain in him. You know what I mean by that? It's not up to your own good behavior. It's not a fact. You can't maintain your relationship with God. You cannot, there's nothing you can do to maintain your relationship with God. It's he that is maintaining his relationship with you. You can't be so committed huh, that will sustain your relationship with God. Even in our human relationships, how have we tried it? The love of your life is not the person you are divorcing. Is now the enemy number one. I, I can't just picture how somebody will go and use sweet words, convince you, believe that he loves you, you believe that you love him also, you carry yourself, you gather us, you paid money, we buy new clothes, we eat rice, we dance, and after one year you tell us that you are no longer interested. Axel, how? Hmm? <laughs> he said, We'll beat you. <laughs> but that is how frail our ability to keep relationships are. Do you understand? That is how impossible for us, impossible for us men, to sustain relationships. So even the marriage you want to marry, let me assure you that if you don't depend on God, it will collapse like a house of cards. So God is the one that is committed to keeping us. Our hand is not so strong to hold on him. That's what I'm trying to say. You will be weak and tired. So God is the one holding us. We can't hold him tight. We cannot. Your prayers cannot keep you. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray. Are we together? I'm not saying you shouldn't read your Bible. You know what we emphasize here? But it is him that is holding you. It is him that is keeping you. Hallelujah. God is the one keeping us so we can come boldly before his throne of grace and obtain mercy at every time. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. We have access to God. First John 5, 14 to 15. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any requests, according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. I slightly digress from this interpretation. Now his will 
right? Is that he answers us. Are we together? According to his will is that he answers us. That's what he does. Because if you collaborate these scriptures with other scriptures, you come to scriptures that will say, ask anything. And it's not, it's not a, God is not, it's not a trickster. They will ask you to ask anything. And then you put it in the condition that is according to his will. I think we're going to have maybe a teaching on this to understand it better. But his will is to respond to your request that he will be glorified. Are we together? So that is the kind of confidence that you should have as a child of God. That there no longer be, you know, this hostility between you and God. That you can ask him, you can, you can make requests. The confidence we have is that he hears. Are we together? And his will is that he answers us. Hallelujah. So this is a position that you are as a child of God. That your sins are forgiven. You have access to all the riches that are in Christ. Because your sins are forgiven. So how does this understanding influence our relationship with one another? How does this understanding influence your relationship with your brother and sister in Christ? We're not even talking about unbelievers. Because how it influences our relationship with unbelievers will be seen in our ministry to them. Hallelujah. But then, how does understanding forgiveness of sins influence your relationship one to another? Our conduct must be a reflection of our identity as the children of God. Your conduct, my conduct, must be a reflection of my identity. Are we together? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Give me a message. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, yes, give me amplified first, then we'll read message. Therefore, be imitators of God. And what does this mean? We see what God does, and we do same. Do you know why we can see what God has done, and we can do same? Because that same God that did that thing, he's living in you. So he has empowered you with every resources to do what? To do the same as he has done. So therefore be imitators of God. Copy him and do what? And follow his example. Many of us are good in copying bad examples. But our example is Christ. Copy him and follow his example. As well-beloved children. What did well-beloved children do? They imitate their father. And work how? In love. Esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ. You see, it's always in comparison to what God has already done. As Christ loved us and gave himself up. So if Christ loves you and he gave himself up for you, you as well must love one another and give up yourself for one another. Gave himself up for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it may become, so that it became a sweet fragrance. Let's look at it in the message. Let's look at how the, 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 the translation put it. It says, watch what God does and then do what and then do it. 
Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love, is to love you. That's what God does, is to love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious. Therefore, our love one to another must not be cautious. Hmm? It must be extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something, which means that our love for one another must be what? Sacrificial, not transactional. Our love to one another must not be transactional. That is our nature. We shouldn't be transactional lovers. You don't love because the person reciprocated. You love because you are meant to love. Are we together? He didn't love in order to get something from us, but give everything of himself to us. Love how? Love like that. Love like that. So how has Christ loved us? Not cautiously. God's love is extravagant. It's not finding fault towards us. It's not transactional. See, you must learn to love sacrificially. Because that is the identity. See, the way God loves is sacrificial. So you can't say you're displaying the love of God and your own is transactional. Transactional in the sense that people must respond to your love. Look at what I did to him and he didn't even... Do me back. You know, people say do good to people because you don't know, well, we don't know tomorrow. Eh? The reason why some of us will help people is because we don't know tomorrow. And that's transactional help. Even if you know tomorrow, will you, make, make, will you still help people? If you, see, even if you know that this person will not help you tomorrow, will you help him? So if you know tomorrow, you will not help. That's what it means. So, in this kingdom, we don't love because we don't know tomorrow. We know tomorrow. Amen? What is our tomorrow? Our tomorrow is secure in Christ. Therefore, we love and we help regardless of tomorrow. So, you don't do good to people, especially believers, because of tomorrow. No. That is transactional love. But our love must be sacrificial. This is how we must love one another. Our love to one another must be founded on the knowledge. Knowledge is key. If you don't have the knowledge and have experience of what Christ has done, you cannot replicate it. You cannot replicate it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Let's go back to amplify the message again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. says, clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's unchosen ones, his unpicked representatives, who are purified and holy and well-beloved by God himself by putting on behavior marked by what? Tender-hearted, piety and mercy, kind feeling, a lowly opinion of yourself. This is humility. Lowly opinion of yourself, gentle ways and patience, which is tireless and long-suffering, and has the power to endure whatever comes with good temper. Be gentle and forbearing with one another. And if one has a difference, that is a grievance. If, so, if a believer offends you, if a brother offends you, if a grievance or complaint against another, do what? 
readily pardoning, readily forgiving each other, even as, even as what? You see, the semicolon here is an explanation, right? Even as the Lord has what? How did he forgive you? Has freely forgiven you, so you must also do what? Forgive. So your forgiveness is from the knowledge of what Christ has done. It's a response to what Christ has done. Amen? Let's look at it in the message translation. Now, did I read verse 14? Let me read verse 14. Be, and above all this, put on love and enfold yourself with the bond of perfect, perfect, perfectness, which binds everything together completely in, in ideal harmony. Let's look at it in message translation from verse 12. And regardless of what else you put on. Okay. Verse 12. So choosing by God for this new life of love. See, God has called us for the life of love. Dressed in the wardrobe, God picked for out for you. I love the way he explained this. God has already picked up your dress. And this is a dress you should put on compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength. That is... Uh, what is it? Discipline. The next verse, verse 13. And regardless of what else, verse 13, be even tempered, content with second place, humility, and contentment. This is quite different from what motivational preachers, speakers will tell you. Quick to forgive an offense. Quick to what? To forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master forgive you. Which means that Jesus Christ has forgiven you quickly and completely. Readily pardoning each other. That's what the message says. Even as the Lord has freely forgiven us. That's how the Lord has forgiven us. So you must be eager, prepared, and ready to forgive. Your disposition as a believer is to forgive because you've been forgiven. Your condition of mind, your state of mind is not to, is not to hold grudges. Forgive as quickly and as completely as a master forgave you. The unforgiving servant couldn't act in light of his forgiveness. We saw it clearly, right? He couldn't respond to this forgiveness. He was quick to chuck someone by the neck. Believe if he, if, I, I believe so much that if he has just spent some time to think about the depth, maybe he would have risen and said, ah, this guy, let me just give him time. He will pay the 20 bucks. Let me give him time. In fact, let me just, I may not forgive him, but let me give him time. But he held him and jacked him up and trained into prison. Thank God he's a part of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Amplified and then message. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath, passion, rage, and temper, and resentment, anger, animosity, and quarreling, brawling, clamor, contentions, and slander, evil speaking, abusive, or blasphemous language. You know, some of us, when we are offended, we have license now to say our mind. Out of the abundance of the, of, of the hate that we've accumulated, 
we now have opportunity to do what? To pour it out. Even to our leaders. Because you've been holding so much grievance and anger and, and, and all sort of things. The person genuinely offends you. This one is not even that the person is not offends you. He genuinely offends you. Is now you now have the license, the justification to do what? To wash him black and white. This is not the conduct of a man that God has forgiven. Imagine if God should wash you black and white. Right? Bitterness and all these things. What we say to one another must be that which is to edification. Let it be banished from you with all malice, spite, ill will, or baseness of any kind. 32. And become useful. See, you must be useful to your brother. To his edification and to her building up. You must be useful to one another. And kind to one another. Tender hearted. Compassionate. Understanding. Loving hearted. You see, they always put forgiveness in the, in, in, in the mix. Forgiving one another. How? Readily and freely in comparison to what God in Christ has done for you. So think of the worst person that have offended you in this life. Imagine. We always have this one person that, if not for God, will have changed it for the person. If not for God. If not that I'm a believer, could have seen my other side. Think of the worst of all the worst people that have offended you. Think of the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Think of all the abuses and the insults and all that you've, you've, you've endured. You must forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. Forgiven readily and as freely as possible. Free simply means you don't put a condition to your forgiveness. Forgive quickly and thoroughly. Let's read it, the message, the way message put it. It says thoroughly. There's some, there's some forgiveness that we don't forgive thoroughly. From Tatooine. Make a clean break in all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and how and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. So you must be thorough. Simply means that there's nothing that you've not pardoned. There's nothing that you've not forgiven. Now to pardon, to forgive, simply is not just in your mind and say, ah, forgiving. Forgiveness simply means that you don't apportion the penalty of that offense to the person. That's what forgiveness is. If God said, I'm forgiving you, but this helper, you will test it. <laughs> you will test it for like one millennium. Then I will bring you out. In fact, you test it in this life. I'm forgiving you, but in this life, you will see Pepe. Hmm? Imagine that's how God is treating you. I've forgiven you, but I will not talk to you again. So when you come to church, the brother's face is this way. You are that way. They put, they say, all hands. Because the ushers put you in the same seat in church. They say, all our hands and pray for one another. You see, you can't genuinely live the Christian life with hatred in the heart for one another. It's not possible. Because we've come into a common fellowship 
with one another and with the Spirit of God. Are we together? So it's not possible for you to love a brother or a sister in Christ and you have grudges and, and anger and animosity against your brother, against your wife, against your husband, against your children, against your friends, against your colleagues. Even against people in the world that are not believers. There's no how you can properly live the Christian life. So you must forgive readily. Say, I'm ready to forgive. Say, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to forgive. I forgive freely. I forgive quickly. And I forgive thoroughly. Hallelujah. As a child of God, it must not take you plenty of time to forgive. See, let me say this, right? The space between offense and forgiveness hmm, is what properly explains your level of maturity in the things of God. I will know how mature you are as a believer by how readily and quickly you are to forgive. Somebody offended you five years ago, you say, you know, forgiveness is a process. Is this salvation you want to do? What is the process? That you know I'm healing, I'm this before I forgive, uh, you know, I have to see a therapist. God has done the therapist in Christ. You must forgive quickly and how? And readily and thoroughly. You must be ready to forgive at all times. It must not take you plenty of time to forgive. You must learn to forgive quickly as, as possible and completely. There must be no condition to forgiveness. Forgive freely. If God says, I will forgive you, but then how will that forgiveness be free? How will that forgiveness be without condition? Imagine God forgive you, forgave you in Christ Jesus on the ground that you will not commit another crime. Hmm? Could have canceled the forgiveness long ago. All right? Imagine Jesus forgave you or are forgiving you on the condition that you will not sin again. Uh-huh. You know, I'll forgive you, but don't try this again. Or when you go, you say, I, I, I will not do this again. You see, we are not saying that we should keep on offending each other. But in our hearts as, as believers, there must be room for offense. The reason why I can easily forgive you is because I have space in my heart already that whatever you do, I will forgive. Because that is what God has called me into, the life of forgiveness. My, my, my default setting is to forgive. There's enough forgiveness in me to give. So there should be no condition attached. Your forgiving one another is not conditioned to good behavior. Are we together? Because even you yourself, you are not... You are not better than what the person, has, the person is, actually, and compared to what the standard of God. So our forgiveness is not conditioned to good behavior. If you don't behave, I will not forgive. If you behave, I will forgive. Be ready in season and out of season to forgive. You know, we must not gather the entire village to plead for you to forgive. They gather everybody in your family, your uncle that is in UK, the one in Nigeria. They gather even your district head. Your pastor is involved. Everybody, and you are standing me, I will not. You know, the Bible says that we should treat you as an unbeliever. And what that means is that 
we should pray for you to receive salvation. Because this one have not, is not born again. That's, what it, that's how to treat someone as an unbeliever. It means that you've not believed. It means that you've never believed. Hallelujah. So walk in love. Walking in love is actually life in the spirit. Peter asked a question on how many times should, should one forgive? Peter has, an, maybe he has grievance against one of the, one of the disciples. <laughs> you know, he's very proactive. Matthew 18, 21. Give me Matthew 18, 21 as I wrap up. Matthew 18, 21. At, a, at that point, you see, the context of this conversation, give me in New King James, the context of this conversation was what Jesus was teaching earlier on. If a brother sinned against you, go to him and did it. Peter was listening. Maybe now remember Judas took his money and never pay back. And then he came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Maybe the person he has forgiven seven times. And he's ready to change it to the person. Seven times. Where did he learn that? Where did he see that doctrine of seven times? You know, some of us, he has done it once, he has done it twice. We have done, no, this is enough. Now this one, this I can't, I can't, I can't take it anymore. This is this is the end for you. This is, and you every day you come to God in tears. And you are telling somebody that this is the end for me. You are a debtor. Are we together? So he said seventy times. Look at how Jesus replied. Verse twenty-two, right? And Jesus said to him, "I do not say to you, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. That's 490, if I'm not mistaken, right? Since you are looking for a number, let me give you a number. So, this is not, it's not a law, but it's to tell you that you have to forgive. That's what it means, you know. You have to forgive. We do not take this literally, but figuratively. Forgiving indefinitely, that's what it means. We must learn to forgive and not to, to be like the unforgiving servant who readily, you know, chuck his, his co-servant. Our message, our message is forgiveness. Amen? Our message is forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness. Our ministry to the unsaved is that God in Christ has forgiven sin. And this forgiveness is unconditional. So close your eyes and talk to God at this moment. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.